KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page, where there's a new post on choosing living Christmas trees. Also, ah. ah, yes. Also, get growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on, and uh, where I mentioned that ah you just heard Debbie mm-hmm. F- Debbie Flowers on the show today. Yes, I am. Former college horticultural professor. Yep. Uh, former something else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Current wife. Yeah. No, wife, wife, mother. Yeah. yeah. Wife, mother. Gardener. Gardener. Yeah, greenhouse owner. There you go. Yeah. And, and and world traveler. Yeah. All right. And we're here to answer your gardening questions, uh, whatever they may be, at 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Kylie's running the board today. We're going to have a good time today. Let's talk a little bit, Debbie, though, first about the weather it's uh, a little bit warmer. It's in the uh, 40s for the most part around Sacramento. But this morning, uh, some of the lows, especially in the lower-lying areas, were dipping below freezing again, down mm. to 30, 32, thereabouts. Uh, I, I was watching the car thermometer uh, that tells me the outside temperature as I'm right. driving down from Folsom. And leaving Folsom, it was 43. And by the time I got into Sacramento, it was down to 34. Because mm-hmm. cold air flows downhill. Yes, and that's true in your own yard, too. It is, yes. Uh, even though you may not think uh, your yard has any sort of a slope to it, I bet there are higher places and lower, and lower places. places. Yeah. The key, then, is to figure out which is which. That's right. And then to plant appropriately. Right. To plant appropriately, meaning you'd put the more cold-sensitive plants in warmer areas of your yard. And typically, what would those be? Cold-sensitive plants. Cold, yes. Okay, some citrus uh would be good there. Um, maybe some perennials, uh, tender perennials. Maybe if you wanted to, I guess, keep your pelargoniums or geraniums alive a little right, bit longer. Right. They are not perennial yeah. in there. They are genetically, but not in colder places. Uh, lantana yeah. would be another one. Succulents? Uh, succulents can handle cold in general. Although there are there are exceptions if they're kept dry. It's one of the the exceptions to watering plants to get them through the cold. Succulents will take up so much water that when when we get a hard freeze, which is 28 degrees or below, uh, the water inside of them crystallizes and and bursts the cells. Uh, So they, they need to be dry. If they're drier, they can make it through cold weather. Because for years we've been saying in order to offer your plants a few degrees of protection, especially containerized plants, give them a good drink of water before a frost hits. Right. But that is not the case with, with succulents. succulents. Right. All right. So that means don't don't mix your succulents with your frost-sensitive plants. Right. <laughs> You're going to lose somebody. Yeah. So uh, called hydrozoning, I do believe the word is, mm-hmm. uh, where you group plants together based on their watering needs, a right. very good philosophy. Right. To have when it comes to uh, having plants in the yard. But what areas of the yard or what sort of areas are usually the warmer spots? The warmer spots are the ones that face south and west, especially up against the side of a building because the 
the sun is low in the winter sky and it will warm the side of the building and that will also warm the soil in that area and the plants in that area. Uh, the high spots, believe it or not, tend to be warmer than the low spots, again, because cold air flows downhill. Uh, they may be windier at the high spot and the plants, if they are have leaves during the cold winter, they may suffer um, drought damage. But the the low spot is where the, the bottom of a hill uh, is where the cold air will collect. Uh, I, I lived up in El Dorado Hills for a while and would drive into Sacramento to go to work. And on a foggy day, the, you could see El Dorado Hills would be above the fog and you could drive right into it. Mm-hmm. And that's because the cold air has dropped down into the valley and that has uh, caused the warm air to cool off and the water in the warm air becomes fog. So the low spot tends to be cold. The top, the higher spots tend to be warmer. Yeah, and that fog, and you know, in the old days, speaking as a grizzled old guy, yeah, here in Sacramento, December, when we had regular winter rains. Yes, when we had regular, well, well, typical, it was fog most of the day, or, or low overcast with a little bit of clearing around three fifteen for about thirty minutes, mm-hmm. and then more overcast, and you'd be lucky to see the sun. Uh, during December and January and February mm-hmm. in Sacramento proper. And now we have much more clear days. Right. And that means it's going to get colder. They're actually colder. Yeah. Yes. The clear days, if you go out at night and you can see tons of stars, it's going to be a really cold night. And the coldest part of the day is always right before the sun comes up. So what happens at night mm-hmm. uh, counts. Yeah. And so let's tick off all the uh, Flat Earth Society and, and uh, climate change deniers listening. And <laughs> talk a little bit about the fact that even though there is what is commonly called global warming, we're talking about more common weather extremes yes. happening. Mm-hmm. And that's not unusual now, mm-hmm. is that we're going to see more wildfires driven by high winds. Mm-hmm. And dry vegetation because we're getting less uh, overall uh, precipitation. Yeah. And uh, even the rainfall this week is... Zero or yes. no, excuse me. Last Saturday night or Sunday, uh, we did get like point one or point, not even that thing. Point oh three. Wow. In the way of rain, yeah, we're up to two point six inches for the season. Four point two is normal, and uh, compare that to last year when at this point we've had we had I think close to eleven inches of rain. Wow. And we could be entering another drought. Mm-hmm. It's likely, I think. Yeah, and what's usually the cause of it? It's some sort of high-pressure ridge right. that's blocking the storms from coming down south and coming into California. Right. And when that happens, it gets colder here because there's less insulation up in the sky. Right, clouds are insulation. Yeah. Yes. Fog is insulation. Yeah, so actually fog is a good thing in yes. that regard. So we may be seeing more mornings where the temperatures are into the low 30s. Mm-hmm. And so that we means we may have to prepare for that to exactly. have more cold tolerant plants in our landscape, but also more drought tolerant plants in our landscape. So when I think about planting a new plant, I actually look at Southwest U.S. natives. Things from mm-hmm. I lived a little while in Tucson. Tucson's very dry, and uh, get, does it get cold in the winter? It gets cold in the winter okay. because it is so dry, and it's it there isn't fog. Yes, yeah. I I wish I could remember the name of the book I have at home, and I've had it for a number of years, and it is uh, The Plants of Arizona. Uh And it's a very good reference book for plants that 
don't require much water mm-hmm. and, are, and are hardy plants, and yet can be very good looking. Mm-hmm. It's not all cactus right. we're talking no, about here. No, it's not all cactus. Yeah, so there is a big plant palette. One of the best places to go to check out plants like that that can do well here are the California native sites. And if you go to farmerfred.com, and in the middle of the page, as you scroll down the front page, you will see under the uh, the data for uh, all the gardens, the evapotranspiration, the soil temperature, the chill hours, and all that, uh, there is a, a link called WaterWise Garden Websites. Are we on the right or the left? Uh, the right. And it'll say, if you're looking for lists and pictures of plants that don't require much water, go to WaterWise Gardening Websites. It's put on and organized by a lot of the municipalities and water districts in many California locales. Uh, it has a lot of great photos of what homeowners have done using these plants. And every area of California has its own site. And the one for Sacramento, El Dorado, and Placer, I, I provided the link to. It's called Be Water Smart. And it actually will tell you and list the plants and give you the examples of uh, landscapes that do well in our area. It's called uh, WaterWise Gardening, and you can click on that link. And it, it really is a great resource for pinpointing the ba- the best plants for your area. There's another one, too, called Calflora, mm-hmm. which is excellent because it actually zeroes in on your zip code for the California native plants from your very area. Mm-hmm. And it's calflora.org. So if you want more information about that. And generally speaking, most native plants for our area are drought tolerant. I can't say that, obviously. Right. There are things that live next to the rivers that are not drought tolerant. Right. But for the most part, if they're from especially the hillier areas, chances are they're, they're somewhat drought tolerant. Right. But there are a lot of good references then for plants for our area that uh, meet those requirements. They can take the cold, and they uh, don't require much water Right. once they're established. Once established, and that's huge. Yes. And that's, I think, the source of our a lot of our overuse of water is that the first really two years, certainly the first six weeks, a plant is right after it's put in the ground needs to be watered very regularly, mm-hmm. maybe daily, maybe twice a day if it's a really hot summer. And so if it's done by someone other than you, it's done by a, a nursery or a landscaper, and they, they will put the irrigation, let's say they install the irrigation, turn on the timer. They set it for that first six weeks. They set the timer to go off for establishment irrigation. That's a good company that does that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that 10 minutes a day thing, yeah, that's, an, that's not a sustainable, uh, it is sustainable, but it's not. It's not a good choice for the plant. It results in shallow rooting and not uh, yeah. reduces the drought tolerance of the plants and the heat tolerance of the plants, et cetera. So the, the irrigation, if it is set up by somebody uh, at the time the plant is installed, it's, it's way too much water after the first season. We'll take a break. When we come back, let's talk more about uh, proper watering of new plants. That's very important. Okay. All right. Debbie Flower is here. Numbers to call in with your garden questions, 576-1578 in the 916-866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 
650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Don't forget Garden Grappler coming up in a few minutes, about 11 o'clock or so, your chance to pick up a prize or two. And uh, there is a clue available at FarmerFred.com, also at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Debbie Flower is here. Well, if you turn your mic on, you will be here. Yes, I am there now. You are. Now you are here. Okay. <laughs> that uh, mic, uh, yeah, it's otherwi- valuable. Otherwise, uh, I'd be talking to my invisible friend. Yes. <laughs> yes, my invisible no. friend, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, we've been talking about uh, coping with the cold uh, in your garden when temperatures get down to 32 uh, or a little bit less. We haven't really specified the difference between a frost, a freeze, and a hard freeze. Mm-hmm. Frost is the least dangerous. That's what we've been right. having lately here, where temperatures dip down to 32 or slightly below right. for short periods of time. Right. And the plants that are going to suffer from that are tropical plants of tropical origin. They're typically things that we grow as annuals. A tomato is a tropical mm-hmm. plant. A zinnia is a tropical plant. Uh, and and for us, we just they die and we get rid of them and plant new set next season that's why they're called annuals that's why they're annuals right yeah it's usually in late november early december when you see the marigolds go bye-bye right and the peppers give up the ghost and the tomato plants and the basil and and, yeah yes Mm -hmm. exactly i know that yeah the basil's still alive on my front porch yeah i still have it in my (laughs) in the ground yeah go figure all right so generally not too much in the way of problems except for the most sensitive plants but then there's freezes and that's temperatures at or below 32 degrees. And I think we're looking here at the sort of the period between 28 and 32 degrees right. for maybe a couple of hours right. or so. And that would have a more serious effect. Yes. One of the things that people have gotten in the habit of doing, and it's a good habit too, if you have a coiled up garden hose uh, sitting at a water faucet, it's a good idea to disconnect it mm-hmm. and straighten it out. But a lot of people make the mistake of straightening it out across their driveway and then run their car over <laughs> it. And if you're running over a frozen hose, there's a good chance you're going to crack Damage that it, hose. Yeah. yeah. So move it off to the side if you do that. And that's a good point about cracking in the freeze. You don't really, it's best to not walk across your lawn when it has ice crystals on it. Right. You're breaking the blades of grass. You're breaking the blades of grass. Yes. Yeah. And uh, if you have a drip irrigation system, it's a... This is the hard part yeah. because with a drip irrigation system, you've got water sitting in these thin plastic tubes. It's a good idea to disconnect those and open up the end caps and let them drain. But mm-hmm. then we're in, I, I hesitate to say it, but it's kind of a start of a drought. Mm-hmm. We haven't had rain, significant rain in quite a while here. The soils are getting kind of on the dry side. And if you've got plants, especially plants in container, containers, they need a drink of water. Right. And it used to be it's a conundrum. Yeah. So do you go to the trouble of hooking up your drip irrigation system again, turning it on for a few minutes, then turning it off and then disconnecting it again and draining it? Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, I've never drained my drip system. Is it covered with mulch? Yes. Okay. I'm a big mulcher. Yes. And that helps. It helps. Yeah. Uh, it's a good idea. Uh, and then you have a, what's called a hard freeze, and that's when temperatures are below 28 degrees for several hours. Right. The most, I don't know if you were here in 1990. Were you here in 90? Mm, that's the first year I was here, yes. Oh, lucky you. Yeah. De- December 1990. Yeah. It's a significant freeze. Temperatures dropping down into the teens mm-hmm. out where I was in Herald. And I remember one day when the temperature did not get above 32 degrees. Wow. But there was like four or five days wow. when it was freezing temperatures down into the 20s for most parts into the teens in some mm-hmm. places. 
Some nurseries went out of business mm-hmm. for that one. There was a lot of plant death. Yes. Yes, and act, at, at 28 degrees or below is an actively growing cell, plant cell, will freeze and die. And that includes trees, mm-hmm. especially uh, thin-barked trees or citrus trees, and that's why it's a good idea if a hard freeze is predicted, would be to wrap the trunks of your trees, mm-hmm. especially your citrus, in order to give them a, a couple of degrees of uh, insulation. Are you disagreeing? Well, wrapping isn't going to give them too much insulation. It's going to, the better choice is to put a frost cloth over them all the way to the ground to collect the few degrees of of heat that are going to come out of the ground each night. I meant in addition to covering In addition to? Um, Wrapping will help with sunburn, preventing sunburn, and it keeps it, a lot of our, if we, if, if the, plant is not actively growing and we are having these cold temperatures, then the damage is going to be drying damage. Right. And that's, wrapping will definitely help with that. Can you succinctly explain to me the relationship between temperature and dew point? Can I succinctly? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> dew but point I, is when the water drops out of the air and that water we call dew. And that happens when uh, temperatures drop because Cooler air uh, can hold less moisture than warm air. Think of a tea kettle. You let it boil, or a pan of water. You let it boil, and you start to get a cloud of moisture above that, mm-hmm. that pan or above that tea kettle. That is hot air with, that's holding water. You let, if you were to put a plate or something over that, and the, what, the steam hits the plate, then it will condense. You'll see droplets. Happens when you take a shower. If you stay in this hot shower a long time, you get water running down the mirror. The the water is in the air, then it hits the colder surface of the mirror, and it condenses. So warm air can hold more water than cold air can. And so during the day, we have warm air. At night, the air cools off. And if it gets cool enough, the water will drop out of it. I was noticing as I was walking outside this morning how moist the soil looked. So Mm -hmm. there was a definite dew uh, last night. What I was leading to mm-hmm. <laughs> was the fear among citrus growers who watched the relationship between temperature and dew point and the danger of the dew point and temperature meeting. Do we have to ask Cedar this question? <laughs> okay, so if, what happens if the dew point and temperature meet in a citrus grove? If it's in the 20s, it could be the death of the tree. Oh, okay. But uh, I mean, Cedar Seeger of Four Winds Growers often said that at 26 degrees is death for the tree, not just the for fruit, the tree. for the tree mm-hmm. because of damage to the bark and the trunk, the, the trunk of the tree. Hmm. Okay. So then it's penetrating to the vascular system mm-hmm. and causing uh, ice crystals formation in yeah. the trunk. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll work on that. Yeah. Because uh, I'm trying Thanks, to figure Cedar. that out. Yeah, really. All right, let's uh, let's get a question in here from uh, Sharon here in Sacramento. Sharon, good morning. How are you? Merry We're, Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. What's up? I want a very small tree because I have a very small home, and I don't want it to be, um, preferably like to be like, um, I can't talk. 
24 inches, but I want it to be a Charlie Brown tree, not like a rosemary okay. type of bush. Oh, you took away my best answer. <laughs> and also, I would like two wreaths, but I don't want to pay $30 for a wreath. Okay. Oh. Do you have any eucalyptus trees around you? No. Oh, those are the make wonderful foliage for wreaths. I, I live good. downtown now. I, I don't live... Um, out in the county anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want a Charlie Brown tree, I maybe you don't have house plants. That I would search my house plants and find one that looks rather <laughs> dorky, and that's what I would use. You know, what just struck me. What really looks like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree is a Norfolk Island pine. Mm-hmm. They can, and yes. you can find them about twenty-four inches or so. Yeah, and that would be at a, a indoor plant center, someplace that sells house plants. Yeah. Like Home Depot or someplace? Uh, maybe. They might or, have it. Uh, Green Acres would be a better example. They'd have a wider selection. Or exotic plants. They're they exotic specialize plants, yeah. in indoor plants. Yeah. But yeah, I, I would look at a Norfolk Island pine. Norfolk Island pine. Yeah. And what's the name of this store? There's all sorts oh, of stores. Well, exotic plants. Uh, Which is at, on Alta Arden? Oh, they used to be. Right. Okay. And, uh, specializes in indoor plants. Yeah. Thank and you. And check with Green Acres, too. Yeah. They probably would have them. Yeah. In Green Acres. Yeah. Okay. Thank oh, you. Oh, are you you're near what's the the Oh yeah, the, Plant Foundry, uh Angela Pratt on Broadway. Store on Broadway, thirty four yeah. something Check Broadway. with her. Yeah. Like thirty fourth and Broadway. Oh yeah, because I am downtown. Okay. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm really downtown. Closest for you, yeah. Okay. Check that out. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling, Sharon. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. We'll take a short break. More Get Growing on the Way on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With horticultural consultant Debbie Flower, we're talking protecting your plants from a cold, a frost, a freeze, a hard freeze. I guess, Debbie, one of the few things we forgot to mention is uh, the fun habit of stringing lights through your citrus trees. Right, adding heat. Yes, and if you're going to use colorful Christmas lights, they have to be the old C7 or C9 bulbs. Yeah, which are getting harder and harder to find. Yeah, you, so, can, you can find them online. Sometimes you okay. can find them at the bargain bin at Ace Hardware. Oh, okay. So they, they are around, but you're right. Uh, this is almost a garage sale item. Now yes, to yes. Look for. Yeah, I know. I got rid of mine before I thought about it. But the good news is if you have any of those old 60-watt uh, or 100-watt incandescent bulbs, you could use one of those. Right. Something my dad would call a trouble light. It was yeah, yeah right. on a an orange. Light. Yeah. Yeah. With a co- with a cover. I like the cover part cuz they heat up. That's the point of using them is mm-hmm. that the bulbs themselves heat up and they add heat to the situation. Um but, you know, if something falls in there, they could burn. And that's the good news of of a lot of those shop lights too is they have a little hook on them to hang them so you could actually right. hang it on a branch. Right. So it's not going to collect dirt or yep. Uh, a dead leaf and, and catch fire. And uh, you could even set it on a timer mm-hmm. to come on. Say, I love timers. Yeah, come on at, I don't know, 2, 3 a.m. One of the best sources for finding what time the temperature is going to drop to freezing is to go to the tabular forecast page at your National Weather Service. Um, the, the tabular forecast page is one of my favorite pages because it breaks down hour by hour for the next 48 hours What's the temperature? What's the wind? What's the rain potential? And if you are a normal um, Internet looker at the National Weather Service seven-day forecast page, which you can find at uh, 
weather.us.gov or for excuse me forecast.weather.gov um, from the seven day forecast page you can go to the tabular forecast which uh, then breaks it out hour by hour for your particular locale and that's what I like about the the seven day forecast page is you can pinpoint the exact location where you are and it will have a customized weather uh, forecast for your exact area with a little bit of variances in temperature. So from that, you would go to the tabular forecast page where you can see the hour-by-hour breakdown. For instance, I'm looking for uh, right here at the radio station, not that we do much planting, rooftop planting here on a five-story building in the Cal Expo area, but uh, if I were, I would note that the coldest temperatures coming up uh, tomorrow morning are going to be around 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. when it's expected to drop down to 34 degrees and then start heating back up at 7 a.m. to 35, and nine by 9 o'clock, it's 45. So that's a, a rapid rise. So you went to the hourly weather forecast, right? Um, not the hourly weather forecast. You, you could go to the hourly. Oh, that's wo- where I am, and there's a, a, the a graph. graph. Yeah, yeah. The, the tab below that called tabular forecast uh, has it written out in numbers, which is easier to read than a graph. I don't see the tabular one. On the seven-day forecast? You know, Maybe if you Google the phrase tabular forecast National Weather Service, it might give you something like that. Okay. I'll, I'll work with you on the break. On okay. That. All right. We'll figure that out. But, yeah. the, the Oh, there it is. All the way down. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Towards the oh, bottom. Oh, there right. are the numbers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it, but it's very handy. Now, as a bicyclist, I especially appreciate the wind forecasts. So oh, I that, bet. So I can uh, gear my ride to when it's not as windy. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, or only go one direction. <laughs> or only go one direction and call Jeannie to come pick me up. Right. Yes. Not that I haven't done that before. <laughs> wow. There was one time when I went east and had her pick me up. And I was in, what was the name of that town? I can't even remember the name of the town. It was in the middle of Nevada on Highway oh my. 50. I mean, the exact middle of Nevada. Oh, wow. On Highway 50. Okay. And I was attempting to ride from Lake Tahoe to Baker, Utah. And about somewhere in the middle of Utah, I my body discovered that last meal you ate ain't setting Oops. with you. Oops. <laughs> so, and, I, and God bless Jeannie. She came and picked me up. <laughs> I won't be doing that again. I'm still paying the price on that one, I think. All still right. having to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Still, still paying the price. All right. Anyway, uh, besides your plants, another thing you need to protect is your gas-powered garden equipment from cold temperatures. Freezing uh, can cause gas to go bad. And so the best thing to do is drain the tanks or turn off the supply valve and then run the engine until it stops. Uh, If you have gas in containers, add a stabilizer. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can even add the stabilizer not only to your containers, but if you are keeping gas into your equipment because you may need it in the emergency, say a a chainsaw or something like that, run the engine for a few minutes to make sure the stabilized gas is thoroughly mixed into the engine. But uh, stabilizers uh, saved more than one piece of my equipment, I can tell you that. And and I've paid the price, too, of not not doing it in and having it basically get all gummy and then have to take it in for expensive repairs. The other is uh, the other thing to protect is your outside water faucets. Yeah. If if they are, uh, the piping is exposed at all, which around my yard they are. Um, and so covering, and I use the very high-tech 
form of a cardboard box. That'll work. Yeah, it does. Traps the heat coming out of the ground and prevents them from freezing. If you have faucets that are attached to the side of the house, they make these nifty styrofoam caps that fit over the faucet. They have mm-hmm. like a rubber band in them that you hook on the back of the faucet head, mm-hmm. and that secures this styrofoam insulation, insulation onto the house. And so it, keep it warm. Yeah, it keeps it a little bit warmer. Right. And the, the problem with wrapping exposed pipes to protect them if that pipe is leaking you have wet insulation, and wet insulation protects nothing. Mm-hmm. And wrapping doesn't really protect a lot. You've got to trap heat or or have a, a good insulation, but a, a rag doesn't do a whole lot. No, and uh, but a box works. I've done that. Yep. Yeah, you lean a box up against the house, like protecting a faucet. And, uh, yeah. and then after the rains, it looks awful. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, that's okay. Yep. But it's... It, if you are going to wrap a pipe, the, the, there are some nifty pipe wraps. You can that get are, insulation. Yeah, tubular yeah. pipes that are made out of that helps. whatever that stuff is. Right. Um, and you can get them in any size pipe you want. From Now, the problem is the big box stores only carry, I think, half inch, three-quarter inch, maybe an inch. But if you've got bigger pipes, if you've got irrigation pipes, major irrigation pipes, if you have... Some lines that are inch and a half or two inch or even three inch lines running through your property, you're going to have to go to an irrigation supply house right. to find those. And they're wraps. only open during the week. Yeah. The other um, use for those wider insulating pipes are is your pool and spa equipment. If it has exposed pipes, and a lot of pool equipment and their filtration systems have the exposed inch and a half, two inch, three inch PVC pipes that uh, recirculate the water from the pool through the filter and back, mm-hmm. and those need to get wrapped, too. Mm-hmm. Or you run the filter the filter system for the pool during the freezing hours because freezing or moving water doesn't freeze. Won't freeze, right. So that's the other thing, too. You can reset the timers on your pool and spa equipment to run during the hours of the freeze. Right. And that should wake you up. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. And your neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that, but you're protecting your investment. Someday I'm going to write the book, Swimming Pools, The Money Pit. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah. It is. All right. Uh, oh, our pets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, birds, too. In freezing mornings, if you've got uh, outdoor water for your pet water, you better crack that ice and put mm-hmm. in fresh water. And the same is true with the bird bath. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a fountain, you may want to run that during mm-hmm. the hours during of the, the night. Freeze. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, and bring your pets in if it gets real cold, or give yes. them at least some, some sort of shelter. Place outside where they can shelter. Yeah, yeah. Um, open the garage for them. Mm-hmm. And a rug. And then there'll Whatever. be skunks and raccoons. <laughs> yes. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I see people around me that leave their garage doors cracked open, you know, a few inches, and I know it's it's for their cat. Mm-hmm. But who knows what else is mm-hmm. going in there? I've always had or. For many years, I've had a cat door and actually no rodents or skunks or raccoons have come in. So Yeah, raccoons are smart, and uh, they do use pet doors. That's what I've heard. Yeah. It hasn't happened to me. Yet. Yet. <laughs> yes. yes, I'm not dead yet. All right. We'll delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com when we come back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE.
Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Debbie Flower, she'll be judging the Garden Grappler coming up in about 15 minutes. Your cha- are you? By the way, Kylie, are you set for the Garden Grappler later on? All right, she's ready to ah, get all the good. information. Yeah, we'll be doing that in about 15 minutes. Kylie's running the board today. And um, there's a clue available at FarmerFred.com. Let's uh, delve into the email. Uh, Mary is in Tuolumne County, the lower elevations of Tuolumne. She says about 1,500 feet. And for those of you who don't know, Tuolumne County is, well, let's put it this way, Yosemite National Park is in Tuolumne County. Mm, That's very variable climate-wise. Yeah, exactly. When you consider the boundaries of uh, Tuolumne County run from just outside areas of uh, just to basically just east of Murphy's or Copperopolis or LaGrange, and that's low-lying foothills all the way up to the crest of the Sierra, which is 10,000. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so there's tremendous variation in there. Yeah. So let's figure at 1,500 feet, that could include Sonora, possibly. Okay. All right. So um, heat-tolerant live Christmas trees that can be planted outside afterwards, preferably not huge or easily kept to a smaller size. So perhaps a lower-growing, right? a slower-growing tree. A dwarf yeah. cultivar of something that could get very big. For instance? For instance, uh, the Colorado blue spruce okay. uh, is a giant tree, but it can, because it's uh, spruces in general don't do real well here, it's too hot, they do better in Tuolumne County, but still not there, uh, as cold as they would like to be. Um, but the Colorado blue spruce has a coating on the needle, so it's kind of a blue-gray color, and that helps it tolerate our heat. Hmm. Uh, and then there are dwarf cultivars of that plant. Uh, I have one called Fat Albert that gets will get to about, I think, 20 feet tall and 8 or 10 feet wide. So the flat, Fat Albert blue spruce. Right, Fat hmm. Albert blue spruce. But I see one um, advertised called Sester Dwarf. S-E-S-T-E-R, like mm-hmm. the word sister, but with an, uh, all E's. By somebody you can't spell. Right, <laughs> sister dwarf. And that one only gets to 10 feet tall and 6 feet wide. Hmm. Though they're slow growers, dwarf plants tend to be very slow growers, uh, and um, but ultimately will not overwhelm the garden. One that may more easily be found is the dwarf Alberta spruce which can survive as an outdoor living Christmas tree. And they're Christmas pretty treaters. small. Yeah, they're, they're, they would be uh, fairly small and slow-growing. Yes. So it might be long past you're gone, Mary, before they become a problem for somebody else, for your children. So if you want to really tick off your kids in 30 or 40 years, plant the dwarf Alberta spruce. <laughs> All right. I'm just saying, you know. All right, what else uh, might be good for outdoors that doesn't get too big? I guess it really depends on what you mean by big. Uh, Italian stone pine has a moderate rate of growth to about 60 feet. They get giant. Though. Yeah, they could. Um, the Aleppo pine, the Afghan pine, or the Mondel pine, they can get 30 to 60 feet tall. Mm-hmm. And so that is a possibility. Mm-hmm. And... Um, not too much I can think of that can grow outdoors and be small because most of your typical uh, living Christmas trees are things like uh, like the limber pine. Uh, there things is, that get really big. Yeah, or the grand fir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 200 feet. And, of course, the always popular coast redwood, which is not appropriate for our area. No. 
Yes, as we've learned, because everything we know is wrong. Well, and it turns out the change. coast. Yes, yeah. Coast Redwood is just uh, a little. It loves that fog that we're no longer getting. A coast redwood gets more than fifty percent of its moisture from the fog that collects on its needles and slowly drips to the ground. It's sort of like a natural drip irrigation system. Mm -hmm. And the only place you're going to find that is in the coastal range. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you don't have fog, you may not want that tree. It's not going to be healthy. Yeah. Now, you may be staring at a coast red right now and saying, well, this one's fine. For now. For now. Exactly. It starts to show disease problems, insect problems. It starts to be stressed and that attracts the insects and the diseases can have the ability then to take over, and then it goes away. Yeah, so we would avoid not only the um, coast redwood, but another one that's also uh, should be on Santa's horticulturally naughty list is the Monterey Monterey pine. Pine, And you're going to see Monterey pine at a lot of choose-and-cut Christmas tree lots. Which is fine. Yeah, because you're You're cutting a tree when it's five years old or whatever, and not old enough to really absorb any of the problems that Monterey Pines would have if left on their own. And Monterey Pines are now even a problem in Monterey. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're they're going through dieback on the coast. Oh, wow. Where they're native to. But uh, you don't want to plant a Monterey Pine. I have seen uh, Monterey Pines sold as living Christmas trees here. And not for the short term. Or for the short term, they'd be fine, but long term. Not for the long term. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about transplanting a living Christmas tree. Do you need to do that? If you bought a living Christmas tree this year for display indoors and you only want it indoors for a few days mm-hmm. and then take it outside, how long can you leave it in that original container? Well, technically, you can leave it in that container forever, but you better know how to take <laughs> care of it. Um, it. It would be my choice, if I were doing this, to have the whole dug and put it right in the ground and make sure I cut the roots as I'm putting it into the ground or expose them completely by washing off all the soil first, all the, yeah, media first. Um, The longer it's in the container, the more root-bound it's going to become and the harder it is to maintain. Yeah. Yeah, there have been some times where if you uh, leave a conifer in a smaller container, a 5 or a 15, and just, uh, you know, you're, you're diligent about watering it, but then you decide, okay, now it's time to plant it. You may not be able to get it out of the container. Mm-hmm. It could be so root-bound. Yes, Yes, and and that root-bound problem will not go away when you put it in the ground unless you do some really drastic root pruning. And that's, in in our climate, that root pruning, the plant will should grow out of that uh, through the winter. We have warm enough soil for much of the winter that there is some root growth. And so the plant should be able to establish some new uh, root tips if you cut the roots when you put them in the ground. The, all the absorption is done in the tips of the root. So with the amount of root growth we get through the winter, it should be able to establish new root tips and then be ready for a a nice spurt of growth in spring. So gleaning from that then, if I had a living Christmas tree still in the container, the time to transplant it to the ground might be September or October to give it the full benefit of the cooler weather to regrow. So you kept it from the previous Christmas? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I would... Choose to do it. Yeah, I know. In January February. or oh, February. January 1st. Yeah. yeah, okay. But is there enough winter left for the roots to regenerate? Well, it's gonna, then you're going to have to treat it like any newly planted plant. If it gets warm quickly and, you know, you're going to have to water, check the, the, the watering. What happens is that the, when you water the container soil, it actually, 
the, the water is almost sucked out by the field soil around it. And so you have to maintain, the roots are still in that field, that container soil for, and the experiment I did said six weeks for plants, uh, evergreen drought tolerant plants in uh, number one containers. Um, so you have at least six weeks, that's a month and a half, where you need to check that that soil moisture. And I would take it, if I were planting in February, and I would take it all the way through to the, to the following, to the fall rains. Mm-hmm. Uh, checking the the moisture at the root ball, uh, to, because that's going to dry out first. Moisture meter would come in handy at yes, this point. Yes, moisture meter would come yeah. in handy. And uh, there are plenty of those available. The cheaper ones are just as I would imply. They're cheap. Mm-hmm. And they may not last for a, a great length of time. Uh, I like my battery-powered one. I've had it for 10 or 15 years now, probably 15 wow. years. And it's still accurate. Mm-hmm. And I still use it. It's got a 24-inch probe on it. That's wonderful. And, and it works. We have to take a break. And when we come back, it's going to be Garden Grappler time, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet. And there is a clue available at FarmerFred.com, as well as at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. So get set for that. We'll do that after the news to kick off hour number two of Get Growing on this December the 10th, right here on Talk 650 KSTE. Listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you are up on your Christmas trees. Debbie Flower has donned her Santa hat, and she will be <laughs> judging your answers in today's Garden Grappler. Kylie, you ready in there? All right. All right. She's ready to write down names and addresses and do all that stuff so you just might win a prize. If you can name a good living Christmas tree for our area, not a dead tree, not a tree that you go and cut or, or bring home from Bambi's lot. Bambi, I didn't know Bambi was in the Christmas tree business, but Bambi has a lot of lots around oh, yeah. town I, uh, selling Christmas trees. I've seen trees. the lots going up, yeah. Yeah, but we're talking about living Christmas trees, trees in soil, um, obviously trees that aren't plastic or aluminum. Okay, Uh so there are some limits. Yes, uh, a good living Christmas tree. Living Christmas tree. So that means it's in a container, it's mm-hmm. got roots, and the roots are growing in media, and you have to water it and that sort of thing. It's a living plant. It's a living plant, okay. Name a good living Christmas tree for our area. So what's the hitch in this giddy app? Well, for our area. For our area. So it yeah. has to be something that you could plant outside after Christmas, and it would do well in your garden. Yeah, and uh, let's go easy on them. So, so let, it could be a so it could be let's we'll also take I think marginal trees, but not outright failure trees. Okay. All right. So and that kicks out very few, really. Right. So, right. You know, it, it does but, kick out very few. So basically, good or marginal. Hopefully, it'll be a good one. Name a good living Christmas tree for our area. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in, a, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. So I have a backup answer. Name a good living Christmas tree for our area. Heavens knows we just talked about it 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if if you don't have too many mimosas in you, you may remember what those answers were. So give us a call. 576-1578 in the 916-576-1578. Outside the area, 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255. The numbers to call in for the Garden Grappler. If you're listening to this on a podcast, 
you can call all you want, but nobody's going to answer the phone. So this is only for Sunday morning at 11.07 Pacific Standard Time. <laughs> all right. On December the 10th, just in case. The, the people here at the station tell me that the phones do ring uh, oh, really? constantly now. Oh, my. Throughout the week and weeks at, for whenever people listen to podcasts. <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, it's, well, you don't know. Some podcasts are live, but yeah, most, most yeah. podcasts are recorded. So we're all re- of the podcasts of this show are recorded. I hope so. Okay. I mean, we are streaming. Now, don't confuse podcasting with streaming. Okay. Because this show does stream on the Internet, so allowing people like Charlie in Brooklyn to listen. Okay. Or um, what's her name in South Carolina? Okay. Patricia, I think. Oh, I don't know. I, I forget. And, I don't know. I haven't and she's going to remind me that I forgot her name. Uh, and, and people from wherever. People down in San Diego, people wherever. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. it does stream live on the iHeartRadio app as well as KSTE.com. And, yeah, you can call in, too. That's okay. Mm-hmm. 576-1578-866-331-8255. Name a good living Christmas tree for our area. All right. So while you're thinking about that, we will try not to mention Christmas trees as we talk about the effect of wildfires on soil. I was surprised to learn in research done at the University of Utah that the temperature of a wildfire, such as the ones that are currently burning in Southern California, can reach, the temperatures can reach 1,472 degrees. That's incredible. That is a temperature I can't even conceive of. Well, we know that paper burns at whatever that... Four five, is that Fahrenheit 451? Thank you, <laughs> yes, that, that one, the, the Vonnegut novel. Uh, but 1472, it would seem to just vaporize everything. Right. So what does it do to soil? Well, I've done some research or read some other people's uh, uh, information about that. And it, it, the thing that people mostly worry about is that it obviously burns off all the surface plant material and mulch. And so then when rains come, we have erosion. Or when winds come, wind is also an eroding factor. We have erosion. But other things happen as well. Obviously, if mulch and duff, which is what has fallen from the trees and is collecting around their base and breaking down slowly, so basically it's mulch, is the source of nutrition, then we've lost a lot of the nutrition. It's it's caught fire. However, nitrogen has many forms, and apparently it, some of the forms remain, uh, ammonium specifically, and for the first year after a fire, the amount of, of ammonium as a nitrogen source is very high in the soils. So we don't really need to fertilize for the first year if we're replanting. But there are other parts of plant material that break down, and that plant material probably, that ammonium probably came from broken down plant material. Um, but other parts of the plant, there are many things in plants. There are fats and proteins and uh, all kinds of other chemicals in plants. Some of the more waxy substances melt down into the soil and actually create a barrier to water infiltration. And so what was that word? Hydrophobic. Oh, you want hydrophobicity? Phobicity. I love that. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like the name of a, a police album, hydrophobicity. Hydrophobic means it it rejects water. That's not really what it does. It doesn't have a choice. But it prevents water from penetrating into the soil. So it becomes a dry sponge, in effect? 
that just it becomes a wa- barrier. Well, allows water to roll off. I mean, you so take what a, roll off? Yes. You take a dry sponge, and the first water that hits it rolls right off. Right. So is it? It's like, more like a waxy substance. More yeah. like a. Um, oh, you always talk about it in the root. The uh, suberization. Yes. Okay. More, I I think of it more as a suberization because it is some sort of a fat or waxy substance that melts down into the soil and makes a layer that water can't get through. Water can't get through, but does it allow existing plant material to germinate? Well, the the diagrams I saw indicate that this doesn't happen right at the surface. Although, I, you know, fire can be so many different temperatures yeah. and go on for so many different amounts of time, right. depending on what the fuel is. So, so probably sometimes it's at the surface. That would not allow things to germinate. But if it were slightly below surface, things could germinate in the soil above it. And and then as life comes back in the soil, other things have been killed, bacteria, fungus, uh, soil-dwelling insects. But as life comes back into the soil and they disturb that layer, whatever life it is, then roots and such would grow through it. Yeah, I was surprised to learn how nutrient levels and soil organic matter both increase after a fire, according to research done in Italy. And Spanish research uh, showed a significant increase in soil pH, carbon, and nutrients immediately after a prescribed grass fire. And I got to believe that a prescribed grass fire is burning at a much lower temperature than the wildfires we are seeing in Southern California. Yes, I would agree with that. So I think there's a temperature range here where it's good and then a temperature range where it's bad as far as the life of the soil goes. Yes. Uh, so but what we're Here's seeing... Chart. Look at oh, that chart. We're going to look at a chart, folks. I'll hold it up to the <laughs> microphone so you can see it here. And uh, we're looking at really small print. Uh, yeah, that's uh, true. It is small print. And what it's showing is... Oh, temperature range and what things do at the various temperature ranges. Yes, what ranges. things do at the various temperature ranges. Yeah. yeah. All right. So basically, things die the higher the temperature. Yeah, and, and chemicals change form. Um, you know, if you... Think about maybe an, a way to think about that is to think about a an egg. Uh, an egg is has a lot of protein in the egg whites, and you put that and it's white and gelatinous, or it's clear and gelatinous, and you put it on a hot pan, and the chemicals change form, and that's when the egg gets rigid and turns white. So chemical temperature uh, influences the uh, uh, quality of a chemical and what form it's in. Uh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that, that some of that is happening in the soils. Yeah. But it's still interesting how, in, even in a prescribed burn, how the soil can actually improve. Yeah. And, and that's amazing. Uh, and I don't know, don't ask me biochar questions, but I know that's an area where people are going horticulturally and they think it's wonderful. And, and that sort of, yeah, show, show me the research. Form, yes, I have not seen that either. Yeah, I mean, I've seen limited research from the University of Iowa on the benefits of biochar, and even in their testing, they had mixed results over a, a period of years. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll wait on that yeah, one. Yeah, I will too. Yeah, just to see. Cause I wonder if they started with things like uh, forest fires and said, oh, look at that, we're getting better growth after. There are some plant species that won't grow unless there's... Fire has occurred yeah. because of the changes that occur, because right. of the mineralization of the soil, and um, the seeds themselves often have to be burned. Yeah, but uh, still, the the big 
immediate danger is, as you said, soil erosion mm-hmm. from winter rains after mm-hmm. a while and wind and wind. So reseeding or somehow protecting that hillside or that area is of vital importance. So sometimes um, I believe that some government agency f- will fly over those areas and drop grass seed. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it may be... Um, like rye? or Yeah, annual rye, yeah. which germinates. I've made what I call live Easter baskets. So we line a basket with uh, uh, plastic and then plant, put in growing media and then plant, and it's annual rye because it comes up so fast. And then you hide Easter eggs in and it? And then we hide Easter eggs okay. in it. Okay, yeah. all right, good. We'll take a short break. I see people have lined up for the Garden Grappler. Hot dog. We have a couple of open lines at 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Name a good living Christmas tree for our area. We'll get to your answers after this on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's get to your answers for today's Garden Grappler. Name a good living Christmas tree for our area. Debbie Flower, horticultural consultant, is here. She Ooh, kno- pressure's on. She knows her living Christmas trees. Let's see what the answers are. We have a prize for everybody, bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. Robert and Lincoln, go ahead. Give us a Christmas tree. Robert? Robert's there somewhere. There he is. Hi, Robert. Hi. Well, how about a Colorado blue spruce? Debbie Flower. Yes. All right. Colorado blue spruce. Big, get really big. Big, big tree, but uh, if you but got it will room, grow here. Yeah, it will grow here. And uh, water requirements on a Colorado blue spruce? Uh, low to moderate. Oh, okay. All right. That's good to know. Once it's established. Once it's established. Always right. once it's established. Yeah. Susceptible to f- spider mites? Um, you know, I'm sure they're susceptible, but I can't say that I have seen an infestation. Okay. All right, and it it is a slow grower. It's a very slow grower. All right, so that's actually a good choice. Hey, Robert, good answer. So I'll be sending you uh, my handouts on don't top that tree and also how to care for trees after a storm. So I'll be sending those your way. All right, thanks, Fred. All right, Robert, thanks for calling. Good answer there with the Colorado Blue Spruce. Next up, let's go out to Ione and talk with Mike. Mike, go ahead, give us a good living Christmas tree. Hey, Fred, I'm going to say Douglas fir. Doug fir. Yeah, that's like, well, it's not a good choice for planting in our gardens afterwards. Because it gets so big? Do they do well? Well, let's talk you about... You can it. grow them. Okay. Well, now, I own you got a little bit of altitude. You're at, what, 200 feet, Mike? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. I, I have really big Deodora cedars in my right. yard. Okay. But, there, uh, stop there. Just go, go. Yeah, don't give away too many answers there, Doug. Yeah, Mike. well, I didn't know yeah. people use those for Christmas trees. They, they're huge. Well, yeah, but small in a container, they're cute. Oh, maybe, yeah. 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 Debbie, what do you think of Deodora cedar? Oh, that's perfect. Okay, all right. We'll go with Deodora cedar, Mike. Okay. Good answer. I'll be sending you those same handouts I told Robert. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Once again, we do have an open line at 576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. Name a good living Christmas tree. Cindy and Chico, go ahead. Give us a good example of a living Christmas tree. Well, everybody seems to be taking the ones I selected. Naturally. But... um, 
one that just popped into my head is, um, come on now. The come on now tree, I don't think grows here. Yeah, I'm trying to visualize it here. (laughs) Is there no folk pine that we could use? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, it's probably not one you would plant outside. um, Right. But... but you could use it as a house plant, yeah, and, and it would live on year year to year, and so I would accept that. Well, you know, years ago I planted a for my Christmas. I had a um, Colorado blue spruce, only to realize the place I wanted to put it was too small. Yeah, so I ended up donating it to our community park here. Oh, how nice! And so then, for years, when my grandsons and the neighbor boys were small. Every Christmas we would decorate it. Oh, fun. <laughs> and it, it was so cute. And now it is huge. So, mm-hmm. yes, it wouldn't have gone in my yard, but I'll never forget that. I brought it home, and then I saw how big it was going to get. I thought, right. oh, geez. Right. And yeah. I didn't want to just discard it. So it's planted here in the Hollybrook subdivision. That's wonderful. Uh, Cindy, uh, yeah, actually, the way the question is worded, name a good living Christmas tree for our area, does not specify indoors or outdoors. Uh-huh. So, yes, the Norfolk well, Island pine go. indoors. Yeah, yeah, yeah would, it does. Work. Very good plan. All right. For, yeah. Good answer, Cindy. So I'll be sending okay. you those handouts. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for calling. All Bye-bye. right. Yeah, that, it's. Uh, I guess we have to consider that now, too. <laughs> Indoor? <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Robert in Citrus Heights, go ahead, give us a good living Christmas tree, if you would, sir. Uh, it's your buddy Roy again, actually, not Robert. but uh, I'll take it. I, because I was on hold and being a good uh, uh, no radio on, I didn't hear the last lady's answer. She said uh, Norfolk Island pine. Okay, well, then I'll go with the uh, Afghan pine. Ooh, I like that. Afghan pinus elderica. Very good. Is, is that how you say it? It's well, not, that's how I say okay, it. Okay, it's not Eldorica. I, 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 that, that, that's my California accent. You can say accent. that, too, and you just say it with confidence and smile. Thank you, she Warren Roberts. Psychic bonus points. Doggone it. Yeah. Oh, you, well, I tell you what. I, I can make this even more worth your while, Roy, yeah. uh, since nobody else is calling. If you can come up with one more good living Christmas tree, I'll give you the Caller 5 prize, which, uh, since you live in Citrus Heights, would be the Sacramento County Master Gardener Gardening Ooh. Guide and Calendar. Oh, score. Uh, how about the Italian stone? Oh, yeah. Very common as a as a living Christmas tree. And does well in our area, and too. And does well in our area, uh, yes. The Italian stone pine. Hey, Roy, good job. I'll be sending you that uh, Master Gardener Gardening Guide and Calendar. Thank you very much. I do have a question, if I could. Yeah, we got time. We're not going anywhere. Okay. <laughs> I want to... I've got two roses. They, they do okay uh, in these uh, pretty good-sized uh, barrels, redwood barrels that I bought. But I want to move them, and I think it's too heavy to move the whole barrels all at once. So I'm thinking I probably should pull them out of the barrels and then replant them in the new location uh, because it would just be too heavy to try to move them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, should I prune them back, wait till it's colder so they go? They aren't going to probably go dormant in this mm-hmm. climate, but uh, unless we really get a cold winter. So um, do you have some advice for me on that, please? Roses are the most forgiving plant I know of. Yeah, you, you can ask I've... 100 rosarians how to prune a rose. You'll get 100 different answers, and they're all right. Okay. Well, <laughs> that doesn't help you at all. I know. I'll I would do your, it when I'm I'll ready. Your yeah. version of, of of correctness, then, and uh, I'll do it your way uh, with some. 
I would say besides Christmas season, it's also rose pruning season. Mm-hmm. Okay. So would, would you agree, though, should I cut them back and then, because I'm going to have to probably pull them out of the soil almost completely to get them mm-hmm. out of these doggone yeah. barrels yeah. and then and then move move everything and re reset. It'd certainly be a lot easier to handle if they're pruned. I think I would be inclined to not prune as maybe heavily as I would were I not moving them. Okay. Uh, because you're, pro- you're going to do root damage. You can't avoid it. Uh, and so I just want to make sure I leave enough material that's that's going to survive you know you'll probably see little bits of die back after you replant them you you may not it may be totally successful um and then uh also that gives you the option to you can you can prune the roots uh, a little bit and that'll re-stimulate that'll stimulate new growth new tips on those roots which will absorb but you're you're gonna have some root damage so i wouldn't i would leave more top just so I can see where the death occurs. If okay, I know there's uh, when you say prune the roots, um, how how much by percentage or inches or whatever? Get, could you give me just a general idea how much I? Well, can you're going to dig some sort of a hole to put them in. Well, and, I may I may actually go ahead and move the barrels and 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 then refill the barrels with some soil. And, oh, and yeah. You know what you might want to do is use new soil. Yeah, yeah I, I probably will buy. Okay. I probably will buy some nice uh, quality organic soil yeah. from one of your favorite, uh, like Green Acres or somewhere like that. And make so. sure that the holes in the bottom of the barrel are open and flowing. Yes. Oh yeah, yes. Oh yeah, I've been okay. listening to you all forever. Right. So. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, I'm then I all your rules on that stuff. So, okay. I thought you were going to uh, go into the ground. So, then I would try to take the roots out as together as possible. So slide something around the outside and you're going to have to push the it's better to push the plant out of the pot than pull it so you're going to tip, maybe tip it on its side get a shovel in there between the root ball and the side of the container and try to sort of ease it out of there and then a bunch of material is going to fall off if the yeah. roots have been circling then the roots may hang down deeper than the container you're going to put them in if that's the case then you cut the roots off so that when you hang the rows where you want in the pot where at the height that you want it to be they don't puddle in the bottom of the container or extend out to the point where they're jammed up against the sides of the container right yeah so that makes sense uh, yeah thank you sure now i'm i'm a guy that likes it easier okay go for Uh, it i would cut the whole dang rose bush back to maybe eight to twelve inches tall dig it out cut the roots back by half and Plop it in new soil in the container after you move it. And it'll probably do just fine. Yeah, that's... Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You have two, right? Yes. (laughs) Try one on each. (laughs) Okay, one method on each. Yeah. uh, All right, and then you want a 10-page term paper back on how to do it. Yeah. And we'll turn it back and say this is not a statistically significant quantity for yes. this research right what was your control <laughs> yes right. uh, the one i left alone in the front yard and didn't move there right. you go there yes you go. all right robert congratulations i'll be sending you the master it's roy. Well, it's, roy, it's roy roy yeah. yeah it says robert but we know it's well roy. you know i know close enough i guess but yeah it might go to the wrong place if you put robert on there so uh well unless there's a robert living in your basement but no <laughs> okay all right no 
No, no basement. So okay, all right, then you're safe. All right, and, all right. Thanks, Fred. Have all right, Roy. Day. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. And Debbie right. Flower, thanks for uh, dropping by the old radio. Place. Yeah, always a pleasure. All right, you want to plug your uh, website, your new book that's coming out, or your Amazon shopping site? Sorry, I don't have any of those things. <sighs> I just come for the pleasure of it. Debbie, Debbie, Debbie. All right. <laughs> We'll make you money somehow. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks for coming down. When we come back, we're going to find out a brief history of presidential gardens. When we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. There's a new book out. It had me by its very first sentence. And the first sentence is this. All politics is local, as the saying goes, and so by necessity is gardening. Hmm, all gardening is local. Where have I heard that before? Well, it's in the new book, All the President's Gardens, Madison's Cabbages to Kennedy's Roses, How the White House Grounds Have Grown with America. We're talking with the author of the book, Marta McDowell. And Marta, it's a, it's a fabulous book. It's uh, well illustrated and, and plenty of human interest stories as well. And it, it since your first sentence says all gardening is local, I have to ask, why the heck did they ever choose to situate Washington, D.C. on a swamp? Oh, well, you know, I guess that was available, Fred. <laughs> it probably wasn't the best farmland. And it was really convenient. You know, it had good access from water with the Potomac, and it was really close to George Washington. <laughs> Yeah, that that's was the thing. It's like 15 miles from his residence, and I could see why he was for it. But what I found interesting was the story you have in the book of uh, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and Alexander Hamilton basically spending a drunken night together and deciding that Washington, D.C. would be located where it is. Well, you know, Hamilton really wanted a central bank, and so they made a deal. They made a deal. And Hamilton got his bank, he, you know, he took on all the state's debts, and the Virginians got the Potomac location for the federal city. As the playwright, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda said in the new play, uh, Hamilton, no one was in the room when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> no one else was there, so we don't really know, but that's the way it turned out. Now, what is interesting about the people who have lived in the White House, they're basically renters, and yet they have free reign as far as what they can do with the property. Uh, they can add and subtract as they please. Now, Washington, uh, it was his baby. It was his design. He was a farmer. And how did he lay out the grounds? Well, he had an architect, Peter L'Enfant, but Washington decided that he wanted the house sited up on the hill where it would have a beautiful view of the river, and certainly it would be able to be seen there. Uh, it's a lot like Mount Vernon in that, in that regard. And so he's the one to put it up there, and it is up a little rise, so it looks down onto these really big grounds. And, of course, at the time, it was fairly wooded, um, and then there was also pasture land there as well. Washington also had an interest in citrus trees, didn't he? Oh, yes. Washington actually had an interest in all sorts of trees, uh, and he ordered lots of them. Now, we think he was sort of trying them out for 
planting around the president's house and around Washington, but planted, you know, lots of native trees, but not just from around Virginia, all the way up, up and down the eastern seaboard. And like a lot of us, uh, he was very fond of going to nurseries, wasn't he? Oh, yes, yes. You know, we think of him always, you know, out being a soldier or then being a politician, but he took time to go to nurseries, both in Philadelphia and on Long Island. He corresponded with lots of people, got seeds, plants, just loved to plant anything. He had some sense about him, though, even though he was bringing in some plants that he knew were not native to the Washington, D.C. area. He he made accommodations for them. Like, didn't he build a big glass house for the citrus trees? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. He had, you know, the equivalent of an orangerie, you know, a, a uh, well, the brick and glass where he could have things that were tender. So he definitely, you know, knew a lot about about growing things and. You know, wasn't wasn't uh, shy about taking a chance on something he wasn't sure about. And he probably got good advice, too. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> but but when you're president of the United States, you can pretty well decide for yourself uh, what you want to go on the grounds. You have the story in there of Teddy Roosevelt and Richard Nixon both deciding to plant coast redwoods from California at the White House. And both times they yes. died. Yes, well, you can imagine, you know, Teddy Roosevelt was so involved in the national parks and in, uh, you know, the preservation of land. And, you know, he loved the West. So he tried a giant redwood. And then, of course, Richard Nixon, being from California, he wanted one as well. But, you know, there, there are just some things that you can't legislate <laughs> or, <laughs> or be the executive of. And uh, where trees want to grow is one of them. Among the presidents, who were the most active gardeners? Well, let's see. So I really expected Thomas Jefferson to be one of the ones out there, you know, really digging in the gardens at the president's house. And it turned out that that wasn't true. He was, uh, you know, it was a little too soon. It was still really under construction. Uh, James Madison certainly planted a lot. But the one where, that, that I was really surprised about is... Uh, John Quincy Adams, because he got out there and dug in. Uh, he kind of learned to garden while he was president. The, the head gardener at the time, John Oosley, really taught him how to garden. Uh, Quincy Adams mentions in his diaries that uh, called John Oosley his nomenclator, meaning that the person who taught him all of the botanical names for plants. He'd pick up acorns or walnuts or hickory nuts and then uh, bring them outside to the garden at the White House and plant them. He planted apple seeds and he actually kept propagation records. So going through his diaries, I found these wonderful entries, some of which had little drawings of these seedlings and the dates when he planted them and when they came up. And it was really wonderful. Yeah, I was amazed at the notes that a lot of the presidents took that you have illustrations of, including one Thomas Jefferson had of when vegetables were in season and available at the local market. Yes, and I was astounded not just at the you know completeness and neatness of this table that he did by hand, but also the number of vegetables that were available to him in the Washington markets. 
you know, through the year, much more than I would have expected at the time, right? This is the first decade of the 1800s, so they really had a lot of people growing a variety of vegetables. Another president who surprised me, he gets short shrift in elementary school history classes, but uh, I think he did a lot to promote the gardens at the White House, was Rutherford B. Hayes. Ah, yes. So now I remember Rutherford B. rhymes with tree because he loved tree planting, uh, both at his home in Ohio and then when he came to Washington, he really got that process of commemorative tree planting going. the other thing about the Hayes, so Rutherford Hayes and his wife Lucy Webb Hayes were temperance supporters, and they cut out all alcohol at the White House, which, as you might imagine, wasn't entirely popular with, with the Washington crowd. There was one uh, gentleman, I think he was the Secretary of State, and he said something like, uh, you know, of one of their parties, it was a brilliant affair. The water flowed like champagne. <laughs> so instead, the Hayes would take the uh, the guests through the glass houses. There were all of these conservatories attached to the west side of the White House at the time, and they even extended them, you know, during their administration. And then Teddy Roosevelt came around and, and tore them down. Yes. Well, you know, Teddy Roosevelt had a big family, lots of children, who is, I think, the youngest president ever uh, inaugurated. He has a big family, and, you know, the West Wing didn't exist then. So the president was expected to live and work in the accommodations of the house. And T.R. decided, no, he needed more space. So he called in an architect, and, you know, they decided... The conservatories have to go. And so all of the plants were moved out to other propagating greenhouses that were down near the Washington Monument. And so went the glass houses at the White House. Kind of sad. Yeah. What plants have survived all the presidents? Since every president has put their mark on the grounds as far as plantings or designs or or whatever, are there plants that have been grown over the whole time span of the White House? Not Too many. So the rose has been grown the whole time. And so it's, you know, sort of positive proof that Americans love roses. Uh, Ronald Reagan made it official. The the rose is the official flower of the United States. Uh, The American holly, so Ilex opaca, uh, the horse chestnut, surprisingly, because sometimes they struggle. And then I think a half dozen different native trees, things like maples and tulip poplars, beeches, elm, pink redbud. Oh, and maybe the the American ash. And certainly no coast redwoods. No coast redwood. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was born in California, too. All right. It's a wonderful book. I recommend it highly. It's by Marta McDowell. The name of the book, All the President's Gardens, Madison's Cabbages to Kennedy's Roses, How the White House Grounds Have Grown with America. You could probably just ask for it as All the President's Gardens, and you would find that. If uh, that's a lot to remember, go to FarmerFred.com and click on the link next to Marta McDowell's name. It'll get you more information about the book. Marta McDowell, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Thank you, Fred. It was a pleasure. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. 
here again, Fred Hoffman. This programming reminder coming up at noon, it's time for the KSTE Farm Hour. On this week's edition, we talk about the Southern California wildfires and how they're threatening citrus orchards, especially avocado plantings in the Ventura area. Oh, of course, there's bad news about uh, snowpacks. Uh, Scientists are saying that the snow line in the Sierra is rising, and that's not good news for future water supplies. We talk about that. Also, there was a rather uh, vociferous meeting in Walnut Grove recently uh, where local residents and farmers took on the Department of Water Resources regarding the Delta Tunnels project. Uh, You can probably guess what they were saying, but uh, we have that report. Also, an in-depth report, too, on the needs of young farmers. The average age of farming in California is well over 55. The farmer is aging and looking to hopefully uh, turn over their property to young farmers. But young farmers have special needs, not the least of which, of course, as you can imagine, might be credit. But more surprisingly, they're having a hard time finding land. So we'll talk about that, too. What do young farmers need to succeed? A lot of crop reports, too, and more coming up on the KSTE Farm Hour, noon to 1 o'clock, or available as a podcast at kste.com or uh, the iHeartRadio app as well, and on iTunes and other third-party podcast aggregators, the KSTE Farm Hour. Ask for it wherever you shop. All right. What else is going on? Oh, before I get into the garden events for the week, uh, if you're having breakfast or brunch right now and you're enjoying that bacon, mmm, tasty, tasty bacon, you'll enjoy this story. There's a feral pig problem in the United States. Uh, here in California, it's, it's mostly in Monterey County. But down south, especially in, in Texas and Alabama, there is a big feral swine or wild pig problem. And the USDA is basically baiting them to kill them, and they're using sodium nitrite. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, sodium nitrite is a meat preservative commonly used to cure meat such as sausage and bacon. And when eaten in high doses over a short period of time, it is toxic to feral swine. The mode of death is similar to carbon monoxide poisoning. Once enough sodium nitrite bait is eaten, the feral swine gets faint, is rendered unconscious, and quickly dies. In most cases, feral swine die within two and a half to three hours after eating a lethal dose. Now, I'm pretty sure the Hemlock Society is not recommending you overdose on bacon if you're trying to take your life. Uh, I wouldn't try that. It it would smell bad, too. But uh, think about that before you reach for that second helping of bacon. Sodium nitrite kills mammals. Now, the problem that they're finding is they have to be very careful in using it as bait against feral pigs because the bait container they use can be also eaten by bears and it would kill the bears. So basically it would kill any uh, uh, wild animal population, especially black bear population. So that's why it's not even used here in California. And uh, so anyway, sodium nitrite as a poison. Maybe you're enjoying some right now. Thank you. Don't get me wrong. I like bacon. You can, you know, shop for organic bacon. I'm, I, even if it said uncured, read the label to make sure there's no sodium nitrite in it. Because uh, even uncured bacon may have some preservatives in it. And organic bacon is not only twice the price of regular bacon, it also looks different, too. It's much darker in color. So think about that. All right. <laughs> I'm hungry for bacon now. 
All right, garden events. Yolo County Master Gardeners next Saturday, 9 to 10.30. Holiday floral arrangements at Woodland Community College. They'll demonstrate floral arranging just in time for the holidays. Bring along your floral pruners, a vase or wire wreath, or any other items you have on hand, such as pine cones, bows, and ornaments to incorporate in your arrangement, and they'll show you how to do it. 9 to 10.30 next Saturday at the Woodland Community College, Building 400, 2300 East Gibson Road in Woodland, sponsored by the Yolo County Master Gardeners. Did you know there is an organic Christmas tree farm in Sacramento County? In fact, it is the only organic Christmas tree farm in California. It's Billy's Farm Fresh Cut Christmas Trees. They're out on Dillard Road in Wilton, 8430 Dillard Road, and uh, that is one of the few uh, choose-and-cut-your-own-Christmas-tree places in Sacramento County. And they have uh, things like Monterey Pine, Leland Cypress, Arizona Cypress, uh, Scotch Pines, Bishop Pines, and more. Uh, also, Davis Ranch, not too far from Billy's. Uh, Davis Ranch is on Jackson Road in Slough House. They also have choose-and-cut Christmas trees. So if you're looking to uh, go out there and do a little bit of dirty work yourself, you may want to uh, take one of the two that are located in Sacramento County, members of the Sacramento County Farm Bureau as well. And don't forget the Master Gardener Gardening Guiding Calendar in Sacramento County. It's available at area nurseries in the county. The Placer County Master Gardener Gardening Guiding Calendar for the uh, gardeners on your shopping list for you foothill dwellers of Nevada, El Dorado, Placer, and Amador counties. You can find that at local nurseries in your area or your county cooperative extension office. So it makes a good Christmas gift, holiday gift for those on your garden shopping list. Very handy calendar with excellent gardening information for your particular locale. So again, the Sacramento County one, great for valley dwellers, and the Placer County gardening guiding calendar for foothill dwellers. All right. Uh, What else is going on here? Let's see. I scared you off the bacon. I plugged the farm show, which is always important. What about next week? What are you going to do on the show next week, Fred? Hmm. I know what we're going to do. Coming up next Sunday. Kylie, are you going to be here next week? Good. All right. Kylie will be running the board next week. And we're going to have Juliet Voigtlander and Chris Acock from El Dorado Nursery and Gardens in Shingle Springs on the program. And we're going to be talking about plants for shade. As landscapes mature, especially in older neighborhoods, and you get more shade than you used to have, well, your plant palette has to change to accommodate less light. What are the best plants in our area for increasingly shadier areas? Juliet's going to talk about that. And I imagine I can get Chris to talk about pruning uh, maple trees and some pruning tips in general. So we'll be doing pruning and planting for shade next week on the program with Juliet Voigtlander and Chris Acock from El Dorado Nursery and Gardens. Don't forget this show available as a podcast. You can download it from KSD. Or you can't download it. You can stream it at KSDE.com or stream it from the iHeartRadio app. You can download it, though, from any other third-party podcast aggregator, including iTunes. So go for it. I was riding my bike the other day, and this guy came up behind me, recognized my voice, and he says, I've got all your podcasts. I listen to them when I'm driving in Wyoming. (laughs) Well, thank you. Anyway, we'll do it again next week, I do believe. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your support. Bye-bye.